Bahn. Good morning, Chapel Hill. It's good to be with you. Twelve of us flew back from Detroit, Michigan uh, a couple of days ago where we held our annual General Assembly. That's kind of like our yearly family reunion in the EPC. And honestly, I wish you could have been there. Especially for the first hour, you would have loved being there. In that first hour, our own Pastor Julie uh, preached to open the convocation. The first <clears throat> EPC pastor, woman pastor who had ever preached in person. And then our own Rosemary Lukens was elected unanimously to be the first ever woman moderator of our denomination. She was nominated by our own, our own elder, Scott Griffin, and she was prayed over by our own pastor, Rachel White. So it was quite a start for, uh, for us. And I know that part of our DNA is that we embrace humility. But I got to tell you, in that moment, I was having a hard time not feeling my buttons wanting to pop a little bit. I was really proud of our church, really proud of our people, really proud of, of the opportunity that the Lord has given us, and I think you would have been too. And as a, a bonus, uh, our flights weren't canceled in either direction. We, we got back on time, so I get to preach to you uh, this morning in person. I actually shot a video just in, in case I, we didn't get home. So, and I'm glad I'm here because I get to be, uh, have the privilege of wrapping up our series on our DNA. For the last nine weeks, we've talked about the nine qualities that we think are uh, central to, at the core of who we are as a congregation. I'm not going to repeat them right now, but if you didn't have a chance to listen to all of those, I'd urge you to go online, because if you don't understand that, you will not understand who we are as a church. This morning, we come to the last of our nine that we think these qualities that define us as a congregation, and it is this, we serve our neighbors. Say that with me, would you? We serve our neighbor. And our text for this morning comes from a very familiar passage in Luke's Gospel, chapter 10. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put Jesus to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. This is the word of the Lord. It was a trap. It was all a trap, which is a shame because it was actually a great question. But this lawyer, this the scribe, he wasn't actually trying to learn something from the greatest teacher who has ever walked the face of the earth. He was trying to trip Jesus up. He was trying to trap him. But Jesus, as we have discovered in the Gospels, is the ultimate spiritual Aikido master. Because every time they try to trip him up, they are the ones that get tripped up. And he flips the question right back onto the questioner, doesn't it? He doesn't answer. He says, what do you think? How do you read the law? It was like the perfect alpha table host leader response. Tell me what you think about that. And the lawyer answers really well. He says, well, love God with everything you have and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, good job. That's a good answer. Do this and you will have the life you desire. 
The problem is he didn't leave well enough alone because he now knew that he was the one who was being scrutinized. He was the one that was being tested. Jesus had turned the tables on him. And we know this is so by what comes next. But the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, well, who is my neighbor? He's on the defensive now. He said, love God and love your neighbor. That was the correct answer. But look at his follow-on question. He doesn't ask what it means to love God really well. Frankly, he was very confident in that department. He was, after all, a very religious person. It turns out fundamentalists always think that they have the love God part down pat. But it was the other one. It was the neighbor love one. That's what made him nervous. And he didn't want to know if he was doing enough. Turns out he wanted to know how little he could do and still skate by. He didn't say, Jesus, tell me what it means to really love my neighbor well. What he really was saying is, okay, if I have to love my neighbor, then who is my neighbor? In other words, who exactly do I have to be nice to in order to check all the boxes? It's a very cynical question from a spiritually cocky person. And frankly, it's the sort of spiritually arrogant isolationism that I think COVID has stripped bare and revealed in the Christian community, even in our own Gig Harbor Christian community. Jesus' response, and it is his most famous parable, actually answers two different questions. Who is my neighbor, and what does neighbor love look like? So let me continue in the reading of this passage. Jesus replied to him, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and he saw him, and he had compassion. And he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he set him on his own animal, and brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three, Jesus goes on, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. We have seen a flood, heavenly, a flood of horrifying video attacks, it seems recently. Uh, video attacks on innocent people in broad daylight, daylight out of nowhere and for no reason. And the hum inhumanity of these uh, brutal attacks, uh, that's a, it's bad enough. But I've equally, almost equally disturbing to me is this. How could you stand there with your phone in hand recording instead of shouting or intervening or using that phone to call the police to, to help that hapless victim instead of making your next viral video? The capacity, it seems, for human beings to ignore suffering is disgusting. And it was just as disgusting in Jesus' time. 
This poor man, probably intended to be Jewish in the story, is attacked and beaten and stripped and robbed and left for dead. And then we are told that what was essentially the senior pastor of a big church walks up to this guy, sees him on the ground, and walks around him. And then along comes the associate pastor of the same big church. And he sees him and walks right around him. And you could sense in the story a, a disappointment that the religious leaders could have been so indifferent to such obvious human suffering. But it is the Samaritan who is the unlikely hero. <laughs> Samaritans and Jews were like the Hatfields and McCoys. You probably know that. They despised each other and had done for hundreds of years. But in Jesus' story, this Samaritan stops, ministers to, transports, pays for the care of a Jewish guy he had never met. Someone who was his religious and cultural enemy. He gets nothing out of the deal. Not even a thank you. And in this brilliant parable, Jesus teaches us two things. What is, who is our neighbor? And what does neighbor love look like? We discover, first of all, our neighbor is anyone who's near us. Any human being who is near us, especially a human in need. And the love that Jesus is talking about here, agape in the Greek for all of you wonderful biblical scholars, it has nothing to do with feelings and emotions and everything to do with compassion and action. The Samaritan loves his neighbor by having compassion on his neighbor and serving his neighbor. The Apostle John later wrote to some of his followers saying, anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen, listen to this, cannot love God whom he has not seen. It's not possible. If you can't love the brother or the sister that you have seen, you cannot love God whom you have not seen. In other words, one of the ways we demonstrate the genuineness of our purported love for God is the way that we love those around us. Our neighbors, whoever they are, whatever they might be. And it is often inconvenient, time-consuming, expensive, and thankless. And we do it anyway because Jesus said to and because that's the love with which God loved us. One of the dangers of being a large, well-resourced church is self-absorption. We have a great mission. We have wonderful programs to accomplish that mission, led by gifted staff and wonderful volunteers. And we invite those who are on the outside to become believers of Jesus, to become part of our church family, because we think it's something valuable to share. And all of these things are true of us here at Chapel Hill, I believe. But the danger comes when we are so focused on what's going on within these walls that we forget or neglect those who are outside of our walls. Those who are not yet part of us. Those who may never be part of us. In that moment, the chapel on the hill, which ought to be a beacon for hope and care for all, too easily becomes a fortress on a hill, barricaded against culture, protective and paranoid and defensive. And if you're big enough and well-resourced enough, renowned enough, you might pull it off as a church. There are a lot of churches with a fortress mentality. And that is not who we are. And I pray, God, it will never be who we are. 
Of course we care about good theology. We care about living godly lives. We care about leveraging our influence and influencing our communities for Jesus Christ. But we have never been so sure of ourselves as a church, never so self-sufficient that we have shut ourselves off from our community. We embrace our community. We are for our city. And that's what the last of our DNA values speaks to. We serve our neighbors. We always have served our neighbors. It is core to who we are. It is who we've always been. It was who we are when I showed up here 35 years ago. It was already who we were. 30 years ago, our worship services were bursting at the seams down at the other end at the Memorial Chapel. And we really needed to build a larger space to worship in. But because there was no place in the town at, at that time, aside from schools, no place for kids to play, for families to play, we decided we were going to build a gym first. Now, now you look at all the facilities, the YMCA and all the rest, you say, why in the world did you need it? There was nothing like that at the time. We said, we're going to build this for kids. We're going to build this for families. And it was really inconvenient, I'm telling you. Every Sunday we set up 600 uber squeaky chairs and a stage and choir risers and a shell and rolled out a piano and an organ and then tore it all down and waited till the next week to do it all over again. It was a colossal hassle. But it was worth it because we loved kids and we loved families and we wanted to serve our neighbors. And when we finally did build this building, we built it to share. We thought about that from the beginning of it. What would we be able to do to give to the community? There, because there was no place at the time, nor is there now a place for large community concerts, for plays, for baccalaureate services, for civic funerals. We became the community auditorium. We built this sanctuary in part to serve our neighbors. When we built our gathering place right next door, there was no large community space for meals or conferences. There still is not. And so we built our gathering place with that in mind. We would make it available to our community groups, to our school district, to civic organizations. We built the gathering place in part to serve our neighbors. Then the county figured out what we had, and they came along and asked if we would be willing to be an emergency shelter, and we said, absolutely. And so we did, and we donated $50,000 to install the mother of all generators. If you've never visited it, it is the eighth wonder of the world. Just drive around to that side and stare at it with awe and wonder. It mostly never runs, but once in a while turns on to test it, I guess. But it is sitting there as a sentinel of hope in the day that we need heat and light for those who are gathered here. We did that to serve our neighbors. Our Titus ministry. Did you know this? Our Titus ministry is the largest provider of emergency resources in our community. You have given approximately $1.5 million away over the years to those who mostly never darkened the doors of this church to serve our neighbors. That is our history. But in some ways in recent years, that's become small potatoes because then came beyond these walls. We had a $5.5 million building debt that was kind of crushing. It cost us $600,000 every year to, to deal with this debt. And we longed to be free of it. We dreamed of being free of this burden. But then we thought, well, what if instead of giving those dollars to our own operating budget, what if we gave them away? 
What if every year we would $600,000 from our Beyond These Walls would, would go to serve those in our community, in our region, and in our world? What, what about that? The question was, who would give to such a campaign? I mean, there wouldn't be any fancy new building at the end of the day, no cool ribbon-cutting ceremony to celebrate. You would receive nothing personally to show for your generosity, and we had no idea how you'd respond. But respond you did. It was the most successful capital campaign we had ever run. And in that end, you paid off $5.5 million of debt, and you freed up the resources to give away, as we have never done before, to serve our neighbors. And we are celebrating that this day. Last year was our first full year of Beyond These Walls funding. And I want to just give you a taste of it. The, all of it is in here. And you need to get one of these and celebrate. But uh, let me give you a taste. For instance, you provided $150,000 to help build the desperately needed new fish food bank building, which is about to open up. It's the first of, of down payment on a quarter million dollar pledge that you, get, you made. You provided $25,000 to buy a van for Afghan refugees. You provided $25,000 to sponsor our local Habitat for Humanity house, a down payment on the 75 that we're going to give. You gave $25,000 to a multicultural church in Seattle that needed help to hire a pastor. And another $25,000 to fund the first African-American executive in our denomination, an incredible leader. And perhaps most exciting of all in our Beyond These Walls initiative, you planted a new church, Kitsap House in Port Orchard. It is going strong. Our first church plant. Planting a new church is about as beyond these walls as it can get because you're sending your people away, you're sending your leaders away, you're sending your money away for the good of the kingdom. And with Kitsap House on the verge of their own financial independence, we have set aside $100,000 to invest in our next church plant and already begun the interviews of who might lead that church. Obviously, those are big-ticket items. It's very exciting. But in much smaller but no less strategic ways, Beyond These Walls has been at work. And it's been through, fund through funding our member empowerment grants. It's kind of like spiritual venture capital. We, we provided seed money to allow you to serve your neighbors with your great ideas because you have ideas of how you could love and serve your neighbors too. So you supported one group that raised $4,000 for our uh, care net ministry in this community. This is a week when we obviously, I celebrate the reversal of Roe v. Wade. It is a day I never thought we would see. But I think now more than ever, we need, the Christian community needs to stand to care for young mamas and the babies that they choose to keep. We invested another $5,000 with a life group that wanted to support Tacoma Street Ministries. And another family used $1,000 to fill 350 backpacks for kids. Another group used $2,500 to sponsor a fun run, which parlayed that $2,500 into $25,000 to provide clean water to a, a village halfway around the world. These are just, these are samples of how your generosity, how your servant's heart had been loving our, our neighbors. In total, last year, 
in addition to the 10% we've always set aside for missions, we gave away a half million dollars. And we set aside another 100000 in reserve because we know that God has more things that are going to surprise us and we want to be ready for his surprises. And here's the cool thing about this. We intend to do this every single year forever because serving your neighbors is in our blood. Jesus once said that where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Our treasure as a church, our buildings and our programs and our benevolence and mission giving, our treasures have always reflected an outwardly turned heart, a heart of love and concern for our neighbors. Would, be, would we be thrilled if, if they were drawn into the church because of our kindness? If they decided to become Christians, if they decided to become members? Absolutely, of course we would. But we give ourselves away without expectation of anything in return. We serve our community and our region and our world because that's what Jesus told us to do. And because he told us to love our neighbors. Here's my dream in all of this. My dream is that the raging pagan walking the streets of Gig Harbor, the guy who would never set foot in our doors, would say, you know, I don't believe a thing that Chapel Hill believes, but I would hate to see them be gone. They are great for our community. That's what I hope we will continue to be as a church. And it's good to talk about the way that we are as a church serving our neighbors. If you're supporting us financially, you're already part of that work. And so I say thank you for your generosity. But I hope that what we are and do as a church family will trickle down to every family and every member. Because all of us, you and you and you and you and you and you, all of us have been called by Jesus to serve our neighbor, our real neighbors, those who live next door, those who sit in the cubicle next to us, those who sit in our classroom with whom we work. And, and honestly, it has always been easier for me to be a corporate neighbor than a personal neighbor. I have shared this in the past. I confess that in the past, I have been something of a hermit. When I got home after work, I wanted to pull up the drawbridge and just hide because I was done with the day. But Cindy and I became convicted of this, honestly, and when we moved into our new neighborhood about five years ago, we committed to love and to serve our neighbors better than we had been. And honestly, for an introvert like me, and I, you may not believe it, but it's true, I am refilled by being alone. For an introvert like me, this is challenging, but we have sought to do it, and it has been a blessing. We co-hosted an open house. We helped to lead an Easter parade during COVID shutdown in our neighborhood. I cut down a, a beloved shrub to give my neighbor a better view. I know, they didn't say thank you either, but <laughs> I guess I didn't do it for that reason. We installed a new mailbox for an old lady who needed help. We offered to be vacation plant waterers for our neighbor. Two weeks ago, I prayed in the middle of the street with a neighbor who's taking his first few steps post-stroke. And I'm not saying any of this to brag. Frankly, I am making up for too many decades of lousy neighboring. What I'm saying is, is I want to confess that I needed to be more creative and more intentional about how to serve our neighbors, just as Jesus told me to. So that it is personal and not just corporate. It's about me and not just the church. And maybe you can relate to that.
This is our Beyond These Walls brochure. As I said, I hope you pick one up. I hope you devour it. it there's so much here to celebrate. I hope it will encourage you in your generosity. But I, I also hope it, will, hope it will help you make it more personal. How is it that you can love your neighbor, serve your neighbor more effectively? Maybe you'll join in the building of our Harbor House, the Chapel Hill House that we are sponsoring. The build starts this fall. Maybe you can be a part of the first Habitat for Humanity house in Gig Harbor in over 10 years. Or maybe you can stir up your life group to apply for their own empowerment grant with some great idea that the Lord has laid on your hearts. God is speaking to you too. Or maybe you can connect with a local agency. Or maybe you can find a way to protect and care for the unborn and the unplanned and their moms. Love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. Serve your neighbor, Jesus said. Do this and you will live. Let's pray. Father, I, I love the heart of this church. I love that it has always been a, a church that loved its neighbors, that cared for those around it, that we have never hidden from our city. We have embraced our city. We have longed to serve our city, to be for our city. And Lord God, I pray that will never cease. And I, I ask, Lord, that the incredible resources that you have given us because of the generosity of this congregation, that we will use them in powerful, influential ways to make our city better, to make our region better. Yes, Lord, we would love to see people drawn to Christ because of it. That is the longing of our heart. But we want to be obedient to do and love and serve those who may never darken our doors because that is a reflective of the heart of God who loved those who would never turn to him. May we be those kind of people. May that be forever a part of our DNA. For we ask it through Christ our Lord. Amen. Thanks for joining us today at Chapel Hill Church. If you'd like to visit us in person, we're located at 7700 Scancy Avenue, Gig Harbor, Washington. Our worship services are Sundays at 9 and 10.30. We hope to see you there. To learn more about our upcoming events, visit us online at chapelhillpc.org.